Jeremiah chapter 29, and uh, that lovely familiar verse, uh, verse 11 of Jeremiah 29. I'm reading from the uh, NIV tonight, I don't normally use the NIV, but it's a lovely translation, particularly for this verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now these tremendous words were written in a letter by Jeremiah to the exiles. Uh, these were God's people who at this particular time uh, were in captivity. Far from home in a strange land, being oppressed by an enemy. And yet, it is to this same people that the Lord, through Jeremiah the prophet, was giving a promise of future deliverance. One day, it would be a reality. The captivity would end, and that they would return from exile. In fact, verse 10, just before that, says, This is what the Lord says, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. And so he says, for I know the plans I have for you. Whenever you are between a rock and a hard place, you need to know that God has got a plan for you. Whenever you are sick in body, torment in your mind, you're in a strange place, in a difficulty you need to know that God still has a plan for you. When it looks like your problem will never end, God has got a plan. When it seems like the mountain's too high, the valley's too low, the difficulty's too great, the chasm's too wide, God still has got a plan for you. Can you say amen? And He will not fail, and He will bring it to pass. According to Jeremiah, to Isaiah, to King David, to the Apostle Paul, all of them in their writings said that God knew me before I was even born. God knew me in my mother's womb. God knew me before even the very foundation of the world. God knew every single thing about my life. Jesus saw Nathaniel under the fig tree. He saw Zacchaeus up the sycamore tree. God saw Elijah under the juniper tree. Hmm. He saw David under the mulberry tree. He saw Moses at the burning bush. He saw Ishmael whenever his mother Hagar had put him over beside a bush and walked a little bit apart and left him to die. God saw Ishmael. And Jesus saw his disciples toiling and rowing in the midst of the storm in the Sea of Galilee, and he came on to them. And he sees you tonight, no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter what difficulties you may be secretly facing that no one knows, but God knows. And he sees you there. And I'm here to tell you tonight, he's still got a plan for you. He still has a plan, and his plans will not fail. 
I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. So this is just not me saying this. All right, I know that he's writing to the captivity, the Jews in captivity. I know all of that, but it's the principle throughout the Scriptures. And this is God speaking to your heart tonight, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, or whatever you may face this week that you don't even know about. Remember that God still has a plan for your life. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Aren't you glad that God wishes you no harm? Would you like to be in a position where God wished you harm? I mean, what would you do? You would have no chance. Sure you wouldn't. But God wishes us no harm. He wishes us the very best. He wants to bless us and strengthen us and encourage us. And God has plans to bless you. He has already made provision for you. He's earmarked. He's ticked the box. He's labeled it. He's tagged it. He plans for your good tonight. He says his plans to prosper you. What is that? What does that mean? How can we walk in that? Whenever the Bible talks about prosperity, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't necessarily mean the accumulation of things. Because Jesus even said that. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of things which he possesses. However, he may and often does give us things. And some people, he gives them lots of things. So what is prosperity, spiritually speaking? It's God's favor. It's God's smile upon your life. It's God's approval. When you know that God smiles in your life, that he approves of you, it's tremendous It gives you great confidence to know that God is for me. And God often does bless us in various ways. Often he blesses if you're in business. He he finds a way, particularly in straightened times, to find a way to to bless you. Just uh, a few weeks ago at our our Christmas drama, we had testimonies. And Johnny, he's not here tonight, but Johnny was given testimony that Uh, He came through a period of great difficulty in his business because of the economic situation, but God honored him in the midst of it all, and he got through that, and now he has more work than he can handle. And, and, And the Lord often does that, particularly if we honor him, then he will honor us. And the Bible talks about our basket and our store in Deuteronomy 28, verse 5, our basket and our store. You know, our basket is our daily things. It's, it's our daily food and our daily needs and our daily provisions. And then our, our store, well, that's, that's the little extras. The little extras that come along that we can store. And uh, thank God for the basket and the store. And God wants to bless us in many, many ways. He wants to bless our household. He wants us to have a home that's happy. A place that you want to come home to. A place where there's joy and there's peace in. I can't imagine coming home to a place where, I, uh, where it would be difficult and, and it would be arguments and fights and all that stuff. Thank God. Sally and I doesn't do that. Well, it doesn't mean we're perfect and we don't have our moments. And we do have moments of intense fellowship from time to time, as, <laughs> as any good couple has. And, uh, but she eventually comes around to my way of thinking, so <laughs> it all pans out in the end okay. <laughs> 
But generally speaking, it's lovely to come home and your home's an oasis. It's a, a place of comfort and safety and welcoming and you're loved there and you're appreciated. And God wants that for our lives. He wants our homes to be that way. And so he says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and, and not to harm you. Thank God he doesn't want to harm us. He's on our side. He's for us. And he's, he has plans for us. So how do we continue to be prospered by the Lord uh, as we have been indicating? Uh, first of all, by diligence. In Proverbs 10.4 it says, Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands brings wealth. Proverbs 11 and 12. He who works with, his, it works with his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. 21 and 5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. 22, 9, a generous man will himself be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. And so God wants us to be diligent. Whatever our hand finds to do, we're to do it with all of our might, no matter what that may be. Whatever position God has placed you in, then do it the best you can do it. Christians in the workplace ought to be the best, most diligent, most trustworthy, most honest people in the place. Can you say amen? Often we're not, but we ought to be. And if we are, then God will be very good and bless. How do we continue to be prospered by God? through diligence and through faithfulness. God wants us to be faithful in Matthew chapter 25. And again, I'm reading from the NIV. Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents. Verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey. He called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more, but the man who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here it is, what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. 
So you knew that I harvest where I had not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who had ten talents. For every one who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even that that he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a story of faithfulness and diligence, is it not? The two out of the three were faithful and diligent to work for the master. But he's speaking spiritually here. Because another parable in Luke 16, 11, you don't need to turn to this, he said, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches. Now you see, we don't often put these things together, but God does. We don't often put the secular with the sacred, but God does. And sometimes we kind of departmentalize our lives into that's business and this is my spiritual life and that's my leisure and this is this and this is this and this is it. But God doesn't. And it's interesting here in the parable of the talents and also in Luke that we read there, uh, how it's interesting how that the Lord himself sees what we do on earth with the talents he has given us, with the responsibility he has given us, even in the earthly, ordinary things, and how we handle all of those things he watches and sees so that he can entrust us with the true riches, with more of the true riches. And this is one of the lessons that the Lord is trying to teach us in this here through diligence and through faithfulness. And if we're diligent and we're faithful, God will find a way to bless and to prosper and to promote. And he'll give us more because he sees that we can handle it for his sake. In Numbers 12, 7, it says, Moses was faithful in all his house. In Ephesians 6, 21, Paul writes about Tychicus. And here's what he said about Tychicus. He says, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord. In Colossians 1 and 7, he writes about another man called Epaphras. He said, Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ, on our behalf. Faithfulness and diligence is what God looks for in our lives. And if we're neither faithful or diligent in the ordinary things of life, guess what will not be faithful or diligent in the spiritual things? If we're not faithful and diligent in the kingdom of this world, we'll not be faithful or diligent in the kingdom of God. And that's one of the great lessons he's trying to teach us here. So let's be faithful, let's be diligent in everything he gives us to do. Even if it's just one talent. Even if it's just one thing. Even if it's just a little bit. You know, there's the five talent people, there's the two talent people. There's people, you know, who has lots of gifts and lots of talents, lots of abilities. Who's out of them? And you look at them and you get intimidated and you say, well, I just got my measly little talent like this. But God still requires it. And if you're faithful with that little one talent, God will reward you as much as you reward the five talent and the two talent. 
That's a clear teaching of Scripture. And so how do we continue to be blessed and prospered by God? To be diligent and to be faithful. And to sow to the Spirit. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Just to look at this. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Therefore, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Every time you get on your knees and you pray, you are sowing to the Spirit. Every time you worship the Lord, should that be in your car as you go to work in the morning? Should it be on Sunday as you come here with your hands raised? Should it be in your bathroom or your study? Every time you lift up your heart and praise unto God, you are sowing to the Spirit. Every time you take this book and you read a few verses or a chapter or a portion, you are sowing to the Spirit. And not only that, every time, and it tells us that every time we bless somebody in the family of God, then we are sowing to the Spirit. And should that be a practical thing, should it be somebody in need that you know is in need right now, and you have a way to bless that person in the family of God, then if you do it, even as a practical thing, you are sowing to the Spirit. Even if you give a cup of cold water in my name, Jesus said, you'll not lose your reward. So there's lots of ways that we can sow to the Spirit. And we have to be conscious many times, what am I doing with my life? What am I doing with my time, my talents, my abilities, with the opportunities that God's given? Am I sowing to the Spirit or am I sowing simply to my flesh? What am I doing? Well, if we sow to the Spirit, then we shall reap much and we'll feel better for it, and we'll be better for it. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 and 11, he was, <laughs> he was in 8 and 9, he's actually talking about, uh, those are the given chapters, and he's talking about giving, it was relief of saints at Jerusalem, and he said to them, he says, if we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? Not that he was thinking of himself, he was actually thinking of others when he, when he wrote this. But notice, if we have sown spiritual seed among you. So, so he was sowing to the Spirit every time he preached, every time he taught the Word, every time he gave out of himself to others, he was sown to the Spirit. And every time you share, every time you encourage, and every time you pray for someone, you're not only blessing them, but you're sowing to the Spirit. And God sees that, and he honors that, and he blesses that. Be faithful, be diligent. Keep sowing to the Spirit. 
Then the Bible talks about sowing in righteousness. Hosea 10.12 says, Sow for yourselves righteousness and reap the fruit of unfailing love. Proverbs 11.18 He who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. What does that mean? Well, if we, if we live righteously and we walk righteously and we talk righteously and we think righteously then we're going to sow righteously it's a simple equation isn't it we're going to sow righteously we're going to say the right things and do the right things and be the right person we're going to sow in righteousness and these are the qualities this is what God looks for in the life of every single believer without exception and if we do that, our lives will be prospered and blessed beyond what we can imagine. And God will give us a peace and a confidence and a hope beyond perhaps what you have tonight even. But we've got to do this. So he says, I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. How does God give us hope? How does hope arise in our heart? Is that just a, a wee feeling we get? Because often that's hope soism. Oh, I hope that happens. Oh, I really, I really wish that's going to really. Oftentimes that's just hope soism. It's just a natural kind of hope. There's nothing wrong in and of itself with that, but biblical hope is much more than that. And it comes, and I'm not a bit sorry for beating the drum again, it comes from reading and knowing and understanding the Word of God. That's what it comes from. It's not just a little fleeting thought or just something human. It's more than that. It's a God thing. God puts hope in our hearts. The Bible says of Abraham, who against hope believed in hope. What does that mean? Against natural hope. He believed in the hope that God gave by speaking to him. In fact, natural hope, he didn't have any. He and his wife were too old, especially his wife was too old to conceive. So that natural hope just wasn't there. But against that, what would be natural hope, he believed in hope, which is spiritual hope. It's the hope that God gave because God spoke to him. Psalm 119 verse 81 says, My soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I have put my hope in your Word. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, and it's a light unto my path. Verse 89. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. That's why you can believe and trust and hope in it. Verse 72 of Psalm 119. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and Gold, And I love Psalm 130, verses 5 to 8. The unfolding of your words give light. It gives understanding to the simple. Direct my footsteps according to your word and teach me your decrees. This word gives us true hope. This word settles the issue. Let God be true 
and every man a liar, the Bible says. And so when you read the Word of God, and we talked about the promises of God this morning, you begin to get hope in your heart. And that hope comes from God. Now we know that hope is future. Faith is now. My faith. But what about hope? Hope is future. Something we hope for in Christ, in God, through his word. And then our faith makes that hope become a reality. Whether it's today, tomorrow, next year, whatever it may be, what we're hoping for in God, then our faith makes that hope become a reality. But you need hope. You need something for faith to work on, don't you? You need something. Somebody described hope like the, like the negative in a dark room, and then faith develops it, and then you see the picture. So you need something to base your faith on. You hope in God's word. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and to give you a future. Satan wants to remind you of your past. Depending what you're going through tonight, he may want to remind you of your present. But God wants to remind you of your future. God's already taken care of your past. He's already in your present, but he wants to remind you of your future. Amen? He wants to remind you that he's got a future for you. See, this is what he's saying. I have plans for your future. If only we knew them. <laughs> and that's why we've got to walk with him every single day. Trusting him every single day. But it's easier trusting him when you know that he's got a plan. If you're following somebody who's got a plan, it's much easier, isn't it? Somebody says, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. All right? Sally reminds me of that all the time whenever we get lost in the car. Man's not really good at maps and directions, sure we're not, because we know the way, don't we? No, don't tell me I know. Half an hour later, where is that wee road? <laughs> if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. But it's nice when you follow somebody who does know the way. And they know where they are going. And they know how to get there. And that's what it's like following the Lord. He knows where he's going. He knows how to get there. And all we've got to do is follow him and trust him and hope in him. Amen? Would you stand with me? See, I'm being very, very good today. This is the shortest I've ever preached in my life. Aren't you, aren't you proud of me? Yes. yes. <laughs> Isn't that a great wife? See how affirming she is? Yes. <laughs> well, I know that's Christmas week and you're all tired and all the rest of it and you've had a busy, busy week and so we're making it easy for you tonight. But it doesn't have to be long to be good. Sure it doesn't. Not that I'm saying I'm good, but it, you do understand. <laughs> I'm digging this hole very pretty bad tonight, aren't <laughs> But you know what I mean. Amen. All right. But that's not my New Year's resolution. I promise you I'll be back to normal the first week in January. <laughs> All right. So bring your cushions. <laughs> All right. Let's pray. Lord, as we face this incoming week, with all of its challenges, with all of its unknown, with all, Lord, of the things that uh, could happen or may happen, Lord, we have this confidence that your plans for us are good and they're not to harm us, but they are to give us a hope in the future. 
So Lord, no matter what this week, we're in your hands. And they're good, safe hands. And Lord, you've got broad shoulders to carry us. And we thank you for that. And so Lord, as we uh, face, Lord, this incoming week in a new year, that sin will be upon us, we look forward, Lord, for your plans to be worked out in our lives. Lord, help us, Lord, just to walk in those footsteps behind you. Help us to put our feet in your footsteps and to walk in the path that you have laid out for us. And so we honor you tonight and we bless you for who you are. We thank you for your grace that meets our need every single day. We thank you for your mercies that are new and they're fresh every morning for great is your faithfulness towards us as the prophet reminded us. So we give you thanks tonight, Lord, for every good and every promise that has been given and every gift that comes down from above. We thank you for them tonight. Bless us, Lord, as we uh, come in, Lord, to this new year. We thank you, Lord, for health and strength. Uh, Lord, there has been so many this year that have struggled with health challenges and issues and we pray Lord for a better year we pray for greater health we pray for strength we pray for healing Lord to come we thank you Lord for the balm of Gilead that touches our lives and brings healing and health and cure to us we pray oh Lord for clear minds and Lord for no worry and fretting and anxiety and fear but Lord it will be filled with your perfect peace and the Lord will go forward trusting and believing and hoping and having faith in a good and a living God. So we give you thanks tonight for all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen.